0: Welcome to the Thrive Vineyard Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Kevin Kiefer. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit thrivevineyard.com. All right, so I uh, spent the better part of last Sunday night watching the Oscars, and I'm really glad I did, because I got a master class in the art of love from Will Smith. I did, I did, and will his... He's always stood for love, right? I mean, he's a devoted family man, a loving father. Even when he was the fresh prince of Bel Air, he wouldn't include explicit lyrics uh, in his in his rap music uh, because he wanted the kids to be able to listen. And on Sunday, uh, I, I was very, very blessed to, to learn about what love looks like when uh, he jumped up, I don't know if we have a picture, and whacked uh, Chris Rock across the face. Right. Because Chris had insulted Will's wife. Right. And 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 so uh, what was interesting is that Will taught us that this is what love looks like. Right. During his acceptance speech for best actor, uh, best actor, he said, love will make you do crazy things. This is a master class in love. And really, uh, it was very, very much like Jesus because Jesus had this way of teaching on the kingdom by demonstrating the kingdom and then proclaiming. It was demonstration and proclamation, right? And so Jesus would heal the sick or he would cast out demons or he would proclaim the good news to the poor or something like that. And then he would teach about it, right? So demonstration and proclamation. And that's exactly what Will did. Will demonstrated love by Punching Chris Rock in the face at the face, and then he talked about it, uh, and he taught us what love looks like during his acceptance speech i 'm like, "Wow, this is fantastic, right? I have a lot to learn, uh, but uh, in case in case that lesson isn 't totally spot on with the heart of Jesus, um, maybe we should dig into the word and find out what what Jesus has to say about what love looks like. Okay. So let's just che- let's just fact check this. And as you guys know, we've been in a series uh, on, and the series has been on spiritual and emotional maturity. Right. And what we've been trying to do is we're trying to grow in personal wholeness. We're trying to grow to become emotionally and spiritually in a relationally healthy and mature followers of Jesus. Right. Because Jesus was uh, able to love in the most challenging and most difficult of circumstances, right? And one of the things that we see, uh, you know, with Jesus is that loving of God, the way that we love God can never be separated from how we love one another. In other words, to to echo Jesus, we cannot uh, be great at loving God and bad at at loving people, it just doesn't work that way, right? So loving God and loving people are inseparable, even though many of us uh, throughout our lives have tried to separate the two. Sometimes we try to separate our love for God. We say we're great at loving God, but I just don't love that particular person right now. I I love God, but I don't love Democrats. I love God, but I don't love Republicans. I love God, but I don't love my boss. I love God, but I don't love my coworkers. I love God, but I don't love Mexicans or fill in the ethnicity of your choice, right? I love God, but I don't love my wife right now. I love God, or I don't love my husband right now. And Jesus says, "Ah, I'm really sorry, but it doesn't work that way. You can't be like me and not be great at loving people around you. And in, in the gospel of, of Mark, chapter 12, a teacher of the law uh, asked Jesus, he said, what's this all about? What's the most important commandment of all the commandments? There were hundreds of commandments. And this, this, this teacher of the law said, boil it down for me, Jesus, which is the, the number one? What's the most important thing? And Jesus said this. He said, the most important one answered Jesus is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. And there is no commandment that is greater than these. In other words... We cannot be great at loving God and bad at loving people. As a matter of fact, Jesus called the Pharisees out on this all the time because in their own eyes, they were great at loving God. They were the most religious people on the planet, but they were bad at loving people. And Jesus said, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Go, Pharisee, and learn what this means. I want you to love people, not bring me offerings. Your worship doesn't mean that much to me if you don't love people well. And of course, Jesus, um, he made an example, his life was an example of this over and over and over again from the little things, right? Like letting little children come to him and get up on his lap and play with him all the way to sacrificing his life so that we could be reconciled to the Father. Jesus died for you and I, for our sins. He took our place. He paid the price for you and I. And I've been thinking lots about how miraculous it was that Jesus would love us so much, even in our utter rebellion, even in our utter railing against him, even in our rejection of him, even in our thinking that we could do better than he did, he died in our place so that we could be reconciled, so that we could have newness of life, so that we could have eternal life. And of course, this is an incredible gift. And I know that most of us in this room have received that invitation and received that gift of eternal life. We've given Jesus our lives and we've said, pay the price for me. Me so that I could be reconciled to the father. It's the basis of our relationship with God. But I just want to ask us, do we remember that Jesus said, go and do likewise, go and do for one another. What I have done for you is this on the forefront of our hearts. And is this the way that we think? And is this the way that we live in the gospel of John, Chapter 13, uh, John records the moment in Jesus's life. It was towards the end of his life, actually, that Jesus uh, had a meal with the disciples. And at the, at the beginning of the meal, he got down on his hands his knee, and knees and he took off his robe and he began to wash the feet of the disciples. And it says this in chapter 13, verse 12, after washing their feet, he put on his robe again and he sat down and he asked, do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done for you. Now, um, I don't know about you guys, but when we think of foot washing, we probably think of this like extravagant, over the top expression of love, this extravagant expression of humility and just this offering of like super super powerful love right I remember i it twice in my life uh, someone has has washed my feet and it was an incredibly each moment was like poignant and powerful and humbling to me right so these are these are moments where we 'll like never forget them but what I want to communicate to you guys is that that 's not what Jesus was actually communicating what he was saying is, is this is to be your rule for life you will always love this way you will always love with a sacrificial love with a love that comes with humility and brokenness this is going to be what I'm calling to you to for the rest of your life and so Paul wrote it this way and, and this will be our key text for the rest of the morning this is, the, this is really what I want to say to us Paul wrote it this way he said this let no debt Remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another for whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. And I just want to say, I don't know about you, but I think this may be the hardest phrase in all of scripture. This may be the most challenging thing that I will ever read because if we were being honest with ourselves, I don't know about you, but I just, I just want to get out of debt. Don't you just want to be free from all debts? Don't you want to have to not owe anyone anything? That's my heart. And yet you guys, he says, we owe a continuing debt of love to everyone that we meet. And the miracle in all of this, you guys, is that the more that we indebt ourselves to God, or to put it even more radically, the more that we enslave ourselves to him as slaves of righteousness, the more freedom, the more life, and the more joy we will experience. Why? Because we're going to, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, we will wear someone's yoke. We will wear a burden. We will carry a million burdens around in this life. But only Jesus can say that the burden that I put on your back, the debt that you owe to me will bring life to you, and it will bring life to everyone that you meet. And what I want to say to us as we have been kicking around and mucking around and challenging ourselves to grow in Christian maturity, to grow in emotional and in spiritual maturity. What I want to say to us is that it is precisely here that spiritual maturity is revealed in us. It is precisely in this place, in this place of this continuing debt to love one another that provides for us the bar for maturity or immaturity the bar for godliness or ungodliness that makes sense. I got a new car, my first ever new car, when I think I was a junior in college, right? Brand new car. I had been driving my mom and dad's um, Taurus station wagon, rusted out, 12 years old. Uh, it had 160,000 miles. I had been driving that thing all through college. I was the coolest guy at school, um, and that thing eventually pooped out, and I decided... Kevin needs a new car, right? A used car ain't going to do it. This thing's got to be brand new. And somehow I was able to cobble together enough money for a down payment and somehow I got a loan, right? And what I realized is that uh, that this thing comes with payments and I had just barely enough money to make my payments. And so for the first couple of months it worked out just fine because I had a little bit of extra money in the bank. Uh, but pretty soon I began to realize that if I was going to keep this car, I was going to have to do one of two things. Either I was going to have to work more hours at my job. I worked at Blockbuster Video. I hope my pension is still in place. Uh, So I worked at Blockbuster. I was working 10 hours a week there. I was either going to have to work more hours, or I was going to have to curb my spending, right? And so guess which one I did? I didn't either. (laughs) I didn't do either one of those things, so I continued to work my 10 hours, and I continued to spend money like it was water, and I ignored the fact that I had just added a $400 a month payment, right? Well, pretty soon, I started to not have money for my payments, and so I made a decision. I knew at this point, finally, what I had to, I knew it was going to be hard, it was going to take grit, it was going to take resolve, but I knew the pathway, the pathway was to my mom and dad's house where I asked them to make my payments for me, right? Can you pay my payments and can I keep this car, mom and dad? Well, they had been uh, at that rodeo many times in the past. And so they said, we love you. No way are we doing that. We're not getting involved, right? And so once again, I was faced with the fact that I needed to change something in my life so that I could pay what I owed or I would face losing the car. I knew what I had to do now. Uh, and so I kept the car, but I kept spending money on burritos and coffee and quit making payments. And that worked out for about two or three more months until they took the car. And that was the end of that saga. I lost the car, right? So that you guys, as you know, you're shaking your head. That is a picture of immaturity, isn't it? It's the picture of immaturity in the same way. God says you and I, you owe a debt of love. You owe a debt of love, and I want you to pay that debt to every person that you meet. You owe me a debt of love, and I want you to take what you owe me, and I want you to pay it to people around you. And my brothers and I, you, we, we used to do this sort of like, this exact same thing all the time in the reverse. I have two brothers, Andy and Mike. And uh, if so, here's the thing: if if my brother Mike owed me money, but he didn't have any money. And Andy owed Mike money, but Andy had money. You know what I would do, right? I'd go right to Andy and say, hey, dude, you owe Mike and Mike owes me. So let's just cut the middleman out. And why don't you just pay me the money that you owe Mike so that Mike doesn't owe me any more money, right? That's how it works with brothers. Well, it turns out that God is a little bit like that. He says to you and I, you owe me. And I know that's like hard for us to hear, but he says, you owe me. You owe me everything. You owe me your time. You owe me your money, your energy, your worship, your obedience, your love. As a matter of fact, you owe me your whole life. The Bible says that we were bought with a price. And so what God says is, I actually want you to pay to others what it is that you owe me. And so how do we do that? Well, Jeff pays God what he owes by, by loving on Ryan, right? Harem pays God what he owes by loving on Ben. That's how it works. God says, since, you, since I have done everything for you, I want you to pour it out on each other. And so how do we pay? When someone strikes us across the cheek, we turn the other cheek. When someone speaks badly of us, we speak blessing. Of them, When we want to be a leader here at church or in our homes or at work, we take the lowest place and we wash the feet of people around us. When someone asks something of us, we not only give them what it is that they ask, but we go the extra mile for them, right? That's not an American proverb. Jesus said that. When someone offends us or hurts us or overlooks us or underappreciates us, we forgive them fully and completely and we work on restoration with them. Right? We return anger and consideration with patience and kindness. This is the picture, church, of what spiritual maturity looks like. So here's what, here's what spiritual maturity is. It is this. It's taking the mission and the burden of loving on our own shoulders and having the capacity to do it. It's taking the burden of loving on our own shoulders, and it's having the capacity to do that. And that's actually the important part. And I just want to challenge us that until we are able to give people what we owe them, until we are able, we are able to love people, even when we believe that they don't deserve it, we are still immature. We are still acting like kids, you guys. And this is where our true maturity is revealed to us. Because so often, rather than paying our debt of love to people around us... We do what immature people do, and that is we ask someone else to pay our debt. We do what I did with my Plymouth Sundance. We ask someone else to pay. Well, how do we do that? We ask our spouses to pay if we have them by demanding that they make us happy and punishing them with our anger or our rejection when they don't. We make our children pay for us when we resent them for not making our lives easier. Young people, you make your parents pay your debt of love when you pout and scream, when you don't get what you want. Here at church, we make others pay our debt of love when we withdraw from relationship or we withdraw from ministry because we're not getting our way here in the church. Does that make sense? This is tough stuff, I realize, but I think that some of this has to do with bad math, actually. Math is to blame for this, right? Our equations are all all off. One of my least life-giving inclinations that I have in my own heart is to keep tabs on how much love I'm giving versus how much love I'm getting. Does anybody else ever do this, right? Somewhere in the front of my mind or the back of my mind, I've got a ledger, and I'm keeping, I try to keep the ledger balanced. Two units of love go out, And two units of love better come back in, right? And what I've noticed about myself is that I get irritable. And I get resentful when the balance sheet is even a tiny bit off. If it gets a little bit out of whack, I know it instantly. And I start to get frustrated. This is a picture of immaturity. And this type of math is death to a relationship. It's death to love. It's death to connection. I hope you guys understand that. And it's for two reasons. Two reasons. The first one is this. We will never, ever see the equation clearly. We won't see it clearly. We typically have a tendency to see what we do as large and big, right? Every one of us, foot washers, we all are. Unfortunately, we're surrounded by Pharisees. Right, We don't see the equation clearly, and so our sums will always come out wrong because we can't see things clearly. But secondly, our love in, love out equations are all jacked up because we're not working on equations. The balance sheet was never meant to be equal. And I know that this is a challenge to us, and it's hard to live out. But in the same way that Jesus gave it all, which is what we sang about today, he calls you and I to give it all, to give it all away. To pour ourselves out. In Matthew 16, Jesus said this. Jesus told his disciples, if anyone, that's you and me, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Let him deny herself and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, they will find it. There is no equal in this. There's no equation here. Nothing is balanced. Jesus gave it all. He was all in. And he says, come and follow me and do it my way. And so Molly told me that I didn't have to convince you guys that we're called to love one another, that I didn't need to spend too much time on that. And so I just want to I just wanna say, what if, let's just imagine for a moment that we're all like, yes, I get it. Yes, I'm with you. We are called to love one another. Yes, I'm supposed to love the way that Jesus loves. But I have to be honest with you, Kevin, I can't do it. I know what I'm made for. I know how I'm supposed to live. But in the heat of the moment, in the furnace of that moment of intensity, I've discovered that I just can't do it. I can't deliver it. I mean, I know that I owe a debt of love in my marriage, in my workplace, with my kids, here at church, whatever. I know that I want to be like Jesus, but I just don't, I don't think I have it in me. What then? Well, I just want to say this, you guys. If I were taking snapshots of maturity, if I were taking pictures of, of maturity right here would be a place where I would take a picture. Because step one in being emotionally and spiritually mature or being like Jesus in our relationships is owning that we owe a debt of love. That's step one. That's a picture of maturity. If we have not dismissed the call to love one another because we're tired, or if we have not dismissed the call to love one another because they don't deserve it, that right there is a moment of maturity. Because the reality is is that immature people make excuses and try to get others to pay their debt. But it's a picture of spiritual and emotional maturity when we look at ourselves and we say, I know That I owe you a debt of love. I know that it doesn't matter what you say to me or how you treat me. I know that I owe you love. I'm not going to try to get you to pay for me. I won't try to get you to take my yoke and put it on your back. I won't shrink from my responsibility to love you by making this all about you not loving me. Jesus called me to love you, and I am owning that. And when we own that debt of love, even if we fail at it, even if we just think we can't do it, that's a picture right there of spiritual maturity. And if you're in that place and you're saying, I know what I'm called to, I just can't do it, but I I get it. That's right there. That's a moment of maturity. Here's our second second picture of maturity. The second step, if you want, if you want to think of it that way, it is a simple thing, but it's a powerful thing. If we're in a place of saying, "I, I know I need to love you," and I know that I-, I just haven't done a very good job of it, in that moment, the the answer is simple. We ask for forgiveness when we fail to love. We ask for forgiveness when we fail to love. That is a picture of maturity. That's a picture of Christ-likeness. Jesus taught us to pray, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And so regardless of how people treat us, if we didn't honor them, then we could say, I know that I owe it to you to say, I'm sorry, I messed up. Will you forgive me for not loving you the way that God has called me to love you? That's maturity right there. There's power in that. God's going to honor that. Now I'm going to go to the third one, the third picture of maturity, the third challenge, the third step here is actually the hardest of all of these and probably the most important one. So what I want to invite you guys to do is I want you to all put on your parent hat. We're going to all pretend that we're parents and we're parents of 17-year-old kids. And it's June 1st, and your 17-year-old has been sitting uh, in bed doing social media or at their desk playing video games for the last two weeks or so, and they're like, Mom, Dad, I don't have any money, and I want to go out and have fun with my friends. What do I do? What do we say to our 17-year-old kid when they say that? Get a job, man. Go get a job, right? If we can't pay our debt... You go get a job and I want to challenge us that if we cannot currently pay our debt of love to one another, then we need to go get a job and what would the job be? The job is is to start working on our hearts with Jesus until we can pay our debt of love. That's the job that we give ourselves to. That's our job. And Molly and I, I just want you to know, I'm not always the example of the right thing to do, but in this, Molly and I have been working on our hearts for years, hard at it, right? And so what do I mean by getting a job? What do I mean by working on it? Well, I want you to first to go home to the most important person in your life, and I want you to ask them, how am I doing in my desire to love you the way that Jesus loves you. Or uh, maybe a better way to say it would be to just sit with them and say, how do you experience me? How do you experience me? What's it like to be you with me, right? That's what I mean by working on it. How do? What do I mean when I say get a job? What do I mean when I say work on your stuff? I'm talking about going and getting counseling. Molly and I did years of counseling. There's great counselors out there. There's great Christian counselors out there. And we have wounds in our hearts, so go and work on your stuff with a counselor. What do I mean by work on it? Well, many of you guys have been in Emotionally Healthy Spirituality over the last 7-8 weeks or so in your uh, Thrive Groups, and we're going to follow up Emotionally Healthy Spirituality with Emotionally Healthy Relationships. We're going to take the next step in this, and if you are a Thrive Group leader, or you're a person that's been inspi- uh, aspiring to lead a small gathering here, I would encourage you, invite you and ask you to take up emotionally healthy relationships because we want to drive down until we start to feel our hearts get healed so we can start to pay the debt of love that we owe to one another. How do we work on our stuff? Here at Thrive, we have this uh, this prayer ministry. It's called Emmanuel Prayer. It's just a prayer model that is so powerful for a couple of reasons. It's an incredible way of getting a, a, a deeper, more intimate connection with Jesus. And it's incredibly powerful at working on the wounds of our heart. And so we have this ministry, Emmanuel Prayer. It's just this, this type of, of, it's a prayer model. If you want more information, you want someone to pray with you, and to help you encounter Jesus in a more powerful way, just uh, check us out at info at and we'll get you set up with it because we have a whole team of people that are like Emmanuel prayer ninjas, right? If you want to work on your stuff, talk to a trusted friend and tell him, man, I just, I'm not where I want to be. I'm not where God wants me to be. Will you hold me accountable? Can I share with you how things are going? And would you pray for me? Would you be a cheerleader to me? Would you be a, an accountability partner to me. I don't know how you're going to do it, but we need to get a job of working on our stuff so that we can pay our debt of love to one another. And so when we say, I'm going to work on this, that's a picture of maturity. When we acknowledge, when we mess up, that's a picture of maturity. When we we when we say, I, I, I didn't love you the way that I'm called to love you, it doesn't matter how you treated me. That is a picture of maturity, Right? And I want to say this, here's the really, really powerful news, and then we'll be done. As you become a person who confesses that you owe a debt of love to everyone that you meet, especially in, in my heart, you guys, quite honestly, is that yeah, it's one thing to love people at the grocery store. That's cool. But what I would much rather happen is I'd much rather you be amazing at loving the people that are closest to you in your closest concentric circle. Start with your family and then work your way out. Those are the people that need it the most. Those are the people that deserve it the most. And those are the people with whom it will be the most difficult to do, right? So start with your families. But as we become people who start to confess that we owe love to one another, as we are a people that, that ask for forgiveness when we blow it, as, we're, as we become a people that start to get a job of working on our stuff, here's what's going to happen. The people around you, and especially the people that are closest to you, they're going to notice this, and they're going to love you for it. When you start working on your stuff, when you say, man, I just, I'm a work in progress and I've got to get to work here. The people that are closest to you, they will love you for it. If you're married and you start working on your stuff, your spouse is going to rejoice. They will rejoice. And, and they're going to be like so amazed that you're doing such a courageous thing. And they might even think, he loves me so much. She loves me so much that she's doing this work just for me. And what can be our little secret is you and I can both know that you're actually not doing it just for them. You're doing it for the Lord and you're doing it for yourself. We don't have to tell them that you're actually doing it when we're doing it for ourselves. And the reason that we're doing it for ourselves is because the more we do this stuff, the more work we do, the greater God gets glorified and the happier and the more prosperous our lives will become. We will be filled with joy as we as we begin to work on our stuff. And secondly, uh, even though this seems like a lot of work, and it is hard work, church, it's tough stuff working on, on, on our, our history and things like that, but here's the good news. God is going to back you up with the full arsenal of his love and his power. And the reason is this. God's going to back you up because he sees in you now the you that he designed you to become, and he can't wait to introduce you to that person he sees in you now, the you that he has destined and designed you to become, and he cannot wait to introduce you to that person. Paul writes to Timothy, he said, for God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. God will back up your efforts. He will animate your efforts. He will fill those things up. You will have all the help that you need to grow in love. And Jesus is behind you, giving you his strength. He's interceding for you right now. Literally, Jesus is interceding for you right now at the right hand of the Father. He'll be cheering you on through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit until you come into a greater expression of your true identity. And so just to wrap up, here's what I'd like to say. Will Smith... I want to introduce you to Jesus, and he will show you a way to love that will make you not only a champion and a hero to your wife, but you will also become a champion and a hero to every Chris Rock that you will ever meet. Amen? Why don't we stand up? Okay, this is ministry time, and what we mean by that is, is it's time for us to give God a chance to do what only God can do. I can talk at you, um, and it could go somewhere, it could go nowhere, but we're going to just give God a chance to minister to us, to speak to us, to move in our hearts, and we've been praying about... um, We've been praying about just this moment right here that God would really move in our lives. It's our deepest desire church that we would be a church that runs hard after the heart of God, that we would be a church that runs hard after becoming exactly like Jesus. Lord, it's our heart's desire. It's our prayer that we would not um, be immature That we would not be takers, Lord. That we would not put the blame or the responsibility on others. That we would not make excuses for our lack of Christ-likeness. I know that this is uh, challenging because I've been working at it. And I wish I were further along. But I just pray right now, Lord Jesus, for a grace... In an invitation for every person right now, Lord, that we wouldn't just hear these words and go, "That sounds good," and then forget about them. I pray, Holy Spirit, right now, that you would convict us, Lord. Conviction is that that sense of of saying, "I have I have missed it, God. I'm grieved that I have failed you in this area." It's not condemnation. It's not shame but it's just a realizing that, that we're farther from God than we thought we were and we want to get closer and so Lord would you convict us right now of our lovelessness would you convict us of our immaturity, would you convict us of our, our habits of, of blaming others for our lack of love, would you convict us of our habits of, of withdrawing or getting in people's faces Lord, would you convict us of, of giving ourselves a pass because of our, our history or our, our genealogy or um, trauma that's happened to us, Lord. So I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would um, just call each of our names, that you would invite us into this process of sanctification, this process of growing in maturity. I pray for bravery, Lord. That we would be so brave that we would step up and square ourselves to you and say, Lord, what do you see in me? That we would step up and square ourselves to people that are important in our lives and say, what do you see in me? If there's any unclean thing in me, Lord, take it out. Lord, I just pray that as we get jobs as we work on our stuff I pray that it would bring newness of life all over the place Lord that would bring newness of life in our marriages if we have them it would bring newness of life in our relationship with our kids with our parents with our friends and our co-workers that people would see a change in us soften our hearts Lord pour out your power